I'm Aaron Schachter, and this is The World, a co-production of the BBC World Service, PRI, and WGBH Boston. This week, we're focusing on something that's common to societies across the globe, the propensity to divide ourselves into social classes. Of course, how class is defined varies from place to place. For some, it's lineage. For some, it's caste. For others, it's about wealth. Where or even if you take a vacation can define your social status. So can the way you talk, or how you dress, or what you do for a living. Over the next few days, we'll explore the role class plays in the modern world and ask some questions. Are class divisions changing or disappearing altogether? Are we moving beyond the age of social class? We'll visit Egypt, Ukraine, China, and India. But we begin in a country long known for its social divisions, Britain. And we'll look at a generational study that offers some clues to the nature of social class. The study's current director, Diana Koo, says it began just after World War II, when British health officials commissioned a report on births. They were worried that the British population was declining and that women weren't having children. Why was that? So in March 1946, it was a week in that march that they chose to interview all the mothers who had a baby, and that was about... 17,000 babies. The report surprised officials. It showed that the birth rate was rising. It also showed stark differences in things like birth weight and survival in the first year of life, depending on social circumstances. Koo says the physician who wrote the report decided to stay in touch with more than 5,000 of the families and keep tabs on their health. And he saw that here was an opportunity to follow up a sample of these boys and girls and to see whether the kinds of things he was discovering about how the world they were born in as babies were those kind of social inequalities going to continue. Indeed, those inequalities did continue to affect the health of participants as they grew older. And even though Britain launched a program of social modernization to tear down its antiquated class system, the lives of those babies born in 1946 were largely dictated by the class they were born into. We have this belief that somehow people can go right from the bottom to the top, and, um, you know, that doesn't happen, actually. Today, we're going to hear from two of the participants in that British study, and we're going to focus on their education. During their childhood, the government had high hopes that a new school system would make Britons more socially mobile. But among the students growing up in that system, there were winners and there were losers. And it all hinged on one exam. Here's the world's Patrick Cox. Leslie Ebbets and David Ward were born in 1946, within a few days of each other and within a few miles of each other. They were born in similar social circumstances. I was the eldest of two daughters, so I was their firstborn. They'd waited a long time for me because of the war. Leslie Ebbett's family was working class. Both her parents left school at 15 as soon as they could get factory jobs. David Ward's family was also humble. My dad left school at 13 and missed a lot of school because a lot of the time he hadn't got shoes to go to school. You know, it was the Depression. His dad was a piano tuner, and people were burning their pianos during the Depression. They weren't um, hiring people to tune them. Both Ward and Ebbets went to state-run elementary schools in or near London. Leslie Ebbets fondly recalls those early years at school. Quite happy there, very happy there. I became quite good at reading because I remember instructing the others, you know, in groups. But it all came crashing round the ears at 11. What came crashing round the ears was an exam, an exam that recently had been introduced by the British government. It was called the 11+. plus. If you passed it, you went to one type of school. If you failed it, you went to another. 
the 11 plus came along and I mean it's been the bane of my life really. Looking back now it, it was certainly the biggest single determinant of my future. David Ward remembers the day he took the 11 plus exam. He knew at the time that if he passed it he'd be among the chosen few plucked from the working classes to be enrolled in a top-tier government-run school and likely college after that. On the morning of the exam, he says that's what he was thinking about as he walked into a grand, unfamiliar building. And it's a great classical fronted place with big steps and a colonnaded portico and there's you in your your 11-year-old little shorts and funny shoes and shirt going in to take this exam in this place. And it was, it was daunting you knew that a lot was to happen on this day and a lot hung on what happened on that day a terrifying moment but ward passed the exam along with three others in his class of 60 they had earned themselves places in elite schools that in britain were called grammar schools at his new school ward was exposed to many new things and new people including a teacher who drove a flashy car and lived in central london we were going to see a play in greek at a place near him so he invited us for supper and I didn't know what supper was so we all turned up three or four of us and and uh, he was playing Handel sonatas on his stereo and this supper included olives which I'd never seen before and so you're in this amazingly sophisticated atmosphere and he sort of gave me a glimpse of another world. Ward liked what he saw he went to college and then became a reporter and turned it into a career at the respected national paper, The Guardian. It's a career that a generation before would have been nearly impossible for a working-class kid. But now that route from humble beginnings through the 11-plus and grammar school to college was open, and many people took it, among the most prominent five British prime ministers, including Margaret Thatcher. But for all the benefits of the few who passed the 11-plus, what about the others, the majority who failed? They were sent to schools called secondary moderns. The British government tried to explain its new two-tiered school system in public service announcements. Well, now, Janet, you've come to the secondary school, secondary modern school. You know that that is what it is called, don't you? Yes, we were rather sorry Janet failed the 11 plus. Well, I, th- I hardly think that failed is the right word, Mrs Kitchen. She would have failed the test had she been selected for the wrong school. And therefore, if she's been selected for the right school, then she's really passed the test. Many parents didn't buy that argument, and secondary moderns quickly became viewed as places where ungifted children ended up, where they were housed until they were old enough to go to work. That's how Leslie Ebbett saw it. We weren't really educated to uh, become anything more, whereas I think at grammar school you really were. Ebbett's didn't go on to college. No one did from her school. But she did become successful. She got a foot in the fashion industry and started writing articles for the popular press and doing spots on the radio. She'd visit boutiques frequented by celebrities. So I just went round and found out, you know, where Jagger was getting his boots or, you know, whatever it might be. And then I'd go on on a Saturday night and reel out all this stuff and everybody lapped it up. And then I got a job on a, a magazine called Rave which was just fabulous. I got a pad in Chelsea, I had an orange mini, and yeah, uh, I suppose it was two fingers to people who called me a failure at 11. Two fingers being the British version of the middle finger, 
And yet, Eberts couldn't shake the feeling that she'd been denied an education and a certain type of life. She was making money, but in Britain, class is about more than money. And Ebert's choice of profession wasn't held in especially high esteem. Had she passed the 11 plus and gone on to grammar school and college, she thinks she would have risen to a more respectable career. Even now, failing the 11 plus plagues her. If one suffers a major rejection or a major bereavement, I'm back with it again. I'm dealing with how to deal with failure again with another therapist. In the 1970s, long after Leslie Ebbets and David Ward had left school, Britain stopped requiring students to take the 11-plus exam, and it got rid of most grammar schools. The two-tiered school system had become unpopular. The majority of kids were failing their exams and going to secondary modern schools, and their parents, many of them, thought the system was unfair. Compounding this was research showing that the 11-plus was culturally biased in favor of the middle and upper classes. The government responded to the public outcry and made the 11-plus exam optional. But just when grammar schools were being phased out, social mobility began declining. Was it the 11-plus exam and grammar schools that made the difference? Oxford University sociologist Adam Swift has studied this issue. He says Britain was undoubtedly more socially mobile in the days of grammar schools. It is true that if you managed to get into a grammar school, it's certainly true that you'd be likely to do better than if you'd gone to a secondary modern. But, Swift says, when it comes to Britain's very poorest kids, only a tiny fraction passed the 11-plus and went on to grammar schools. And even for those who did and climbed up the socioeconomic ladder, they fell short at the very top. So there was no real kind of boost to mobility up into the top quarter, although it did kind of help you get into the top half a little bit. But this isn't the prevailing view among a new generation of politicians. Many now believe that the 11-plus and grammar schools were the key to Britain's golden age of social mobility. They say the smart working-class kids of today no longer have a pathway to success. And so the two-tiered system is gradually coming back. The Conservative-led government has made it easier for Britain's few remaining grammar schools to expand. A few weeks ago, the first grammar school campus to open in decades was approved. That's not something that Leslie Ebbets welcomes. She says she'd hate to see the old system come back, with most poorer kids denied a good education. 55 years after she failed the 11-plus, Ebbets says she's grateful only that she and a handful of others transcended that failure. So we made it in the end, some of us, but I think that an awful lot were completely wasted. Surprisingly, perhaps, David Ward feels the same way. He knows that he was one of the few beneficiaries of the system, but he doesn't think it really worked. Broadly speaking, he says, the rich have stayed rich and the poor have stayed poor, despite a school exam that was designed to change that. The whole history of this thing seems to me to prove that that gap never narrows, that every step you make to improve the lot of the poor or the people who've missed out on education, nothing much has changed, which is a bit chilling to think of, really, after all that time. For The World, I'm Patrick Cox.